Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Catholic Talk Show. Today, we're going to be talking about St. Peter and some things you may not know about him. Yeah, we're going to look at the life of St. Peter. We're going to talk about things like where he was buried, where he was executed, his family, and so much more. Now, one thing you got to know is St. Peter's the rock. So let's rock! Enthusiasm, Father Ray. Anytime. You know yeah. I'm here for you guys. <laughs> you are the David Lee Roth of the priesthood. So I'm ready to rock. <laughs> yeah, no, today we're talking about St. Peter. And, you know, St. Peter is fascinating. And I'm surprised we've never gotten around to doing an episode on him because there's so many really interesting things to consider, to learn about. And the fact is that we know so much really about his life, uh, which is pretty atypical for apostles right. and for early, you know, antiquity figures. So a lot of interesting things that we're going to get into today. It's true. But before we get into it, I want to make sure that you truly get to know us. And a, the best way to do that is to visit our website, www.catholictalkshow.com. We'll show you every way that you can connect with us on your commute to work. You could listen in through Google Play, Stitcher, iTunes, as well as Spotify. And if you're viewing our content on YouTube, make sure that you click the button subscribe and right next to it, there's a little bell. Click the bell. It'll ensure that everything that we produce will populate in your feed. And we want to give a big shout out to our patrons. We wouldn't be able to do this show without you. Thank you for supporting us. If you're considering becoming a financial supporter of the show, please go to patreon.com forward slash Catholic talk show. There you'll see every way that you could support us. And we have some cool memorabilia to share with you as well. Now, jumping into St. Peter, I know Delacrosse that you have a great affinity for St. Peter and your journey. Why do you why do you find such a, a close connection with St. Peter? Uh well, I mean, it kind of goes back to like my affinity for St. Dismas and just the mercy of God. And you know, God showed me a lot of mercy in my lifetime and still does. And, you know, I mean, this is a guy who was basically given the keys to the kingdom. Uh Jesus basically transferred them to him and um, he, he didn't even follow him all the way to the cross, mm -hmm. you know, denied him three times. So I think from a, a standpoint of our humanity and the accuser always telling us that we're not worthy of, yeah, man. of the call of, of being a Christian and, and struggling through that, that, you know, these guys, um, not only provide us with hope, but also provide us with, um, you know, a path forward, mm -hmm. right. To, to mm -hmm. progress in our Christian life, to serve God and, and try to bring this mercy and, and salvation to others, you know, through the grace of God and his calling in our life. Yeah. To always have hope, right? Like mm -hmm. no matter what type of disappointment in our failures or shortcomings, you know, St. Peter as the success, you know, he is the vicar of Christ. He was entrusted, like you said, with the keys of the authority of the kingdom you know, like, how amazing is it that Jesus would entrust him, even though we see all throughout the scriptures, that he fell short, yeah. you know? And, and he wasn't even Jesus's favorite. God, God calls the, you know, call, he calls, he doesn't call in the equip, you know, he yeah. equips the call. That's it. It's very important for us to understand that because our whole society thrives off of people who, are, who do very well at something and, and, pull, and putting them up and exalting them. Mm -hmm. and, and in reality, and then they wait until there's one little failure yeah. and then they cancel culture and, yeah. and destroy them. Yeah. Cause you know, that's just the way it is today. But I mean, it's, it's the 
adoration that we give to people who are successful yeah. that really, you know, convicts and, and causes us to look at ourselves and say that we're not really worthy of anything because we're just some stupid little sinner that's screwing up all the time. And, you know, the reality is, is that God, God wants that in you to, to build you up yeah. in holiness, yeah. right? And, mm-hmm. and ultimately bring you to heaven and use your gifts to give to others. That's so know? true. I think all of that is uh, pretty common knowledge of St. Peter because we all know that he had shortcomings. Yep. But there's interesting things that we're going to bring out today, I think, that yep. that you know are pretty unique and, and possibly our, our viewers or listeners may not know. You know, I don't think people really consider with St. Peter— where he was in life, what his station in life was before he was called. They mean, just take it for granted. Well, they called St. Peter. Great. You know, and then the story gets started. But there's there's a, you know, there's a story before that. I mean, St. Peter would have already been, you know, a grown man by the time that he encountered Christ. Um, him and his brother were fishermen, him and his brother Andrew. Now, Andrew was the first apostle. It wasn't even—so Peter wasn't the first apostle. Peter wasn't Jesus's favorite. You know, Peter was not— any of those things that you would think would make them the leader, but he was specifically named by Christ to be the rock of the church. But he was a fisherman, and by all accounts, he would have been a fairly successful man, right? He would have had a small fleet of ships. Now, he's by no means rich, but by— He worked hard. Yeah, mm-hmm. but by comparison yeah. around, he was a he was like a tradesman. Like, consider him like a guy who has a nice house, and he's mm-hmm. like an electrician or something, uh, you know? Of, one of the— greatest blessings of my life is I got to visit his home and, you know, being on the northern shore of of the Galilee, you know, realizing that he had multiple ships, multiple uh, nets. He had people that worked for him. I mean, he was a businessman, but he was a successful businessman. And, you know, it was a very, uh, you know, it was a trade that was very competitive. So the house that I visited was in Capernaum, mm-hmm. and that's traditionally where Jesus healed the mother-in-law of St. Peter, mm-hmm. and it's actually considered the first church as well. That's right. And a very, very important place and a destination of, you know, there there was definitely trade happening in respect to fish. That was the industry, really. If you're, if you're near the Galilee, that was the industry. Um, so it's important to realize that not that they were super wealthy, you know, and and influential in the sense of Jerusalem and and trade on an international level, um, but as a local and on the local level and the need for food and sustenance, um, the fact that he had many boats and, and fish, a lot of scripture scholars say that he he was a, a pretty successful form of a successful family. You know, and an interesting thing to think of is that Peter was probably um, partners or at least had, you know, some working relationship with the father of John and James, right? That they would have had a professional relationship or at least partners, and that's how they knew each other. Very small town. Around around Galilee on the north, I mean, it's very small. Two to 500 people in a village at the most, you know, at the time. You knew everybody. Right. So Peter and Andrew, who would have originally been from Bethsaida, and then, you know, that's only maybe... 20 miles from Capernaum. But but Peter lived in Bethsaida too. Exactly. So originally. And, yeah. and, and St. Philip, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah, all these guys people. are kind of running in the same circles, right? Uh, which is, I think, really interesting. But, yeah, Peter and uh, Andrew would have partnered with James and John, and they'd out been fishing. And um, Andrew, being the, that proto-apostle, would have went to Peter and then, you know, then to James and John. And it's pretty cool that basically Jesus was, you know, raiding the docks just for fishermen. That's how he got his followers. Mm-hmm. And those churches, like you said, 
I'm sorry, those buildings, they're still there. Archaeologists have found the home of Andrew and Peter in the Seda, and they've also found that where you that first church, mm-hmm. which I think is so cool, that the first Catholic church in the world was Peter's house, mm-hmm. you know, in Capernaum, and it's still there. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's something that's nearly recognized enough. Mm-hmm. And the fact that Jesus considered that his home, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, like he felt comfortable to stay in that home. And, and that was almost like a central location for him to operate out that of. That was their office. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that house was the office of the ministry of, of Jesus. Uh, you know, they say the son of man has nowhere to lie his head, but he stayed with Peter when, um, you know, I wonder, you know, when they, when they say, you know, Jesus says, come and see. And they went to where he was staying if it wasn't mm-hmm. Peter's house, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Pretty interesting. It is. Now, another thing that you brought up or that you mentioned that brings up is that Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law, which, you know, I'm no genealogist, but which would mean that Peter was married, right? <laughs> We should do Ancestry.com with the DNA. So, yeah, he was obviously ma- married. Now, tradition doesn't tell us the name of St. Peter's wife. Now, there's one mention, uh, I think, by Clement of Rome that said Peter's wife was cruci- was martyred in Rome and Peter saw it. Uh, but that's really the only mention of her most everyone else even in the apostolic age, would have said that Peter likely would have been a widower and he was still living and he took his mother-in-law in. But at that time he would have been a widower. That's why he was kind of free to um, go and follow after Jesus. Mm. And then also there's, well, there's just think of like how many, like having children, you know, that lineage, you know, I wonder if his line or if his bloodline is still around. Well, no. You don't think so? No, but tradition say, does sometimes say he had a daughter, St. Petronilla. And Petronilla, we know of her grave, it's in Rome. Um, but, you know, it's pretty murky. No one's really sure if that was his daughter. And a lot of times scholars would say, well, in the similarity of the names, Peter and Petronilla, you know, the little female rock, that they would just assume that other times they say she was just converted by him and kind of took on his name mm-hmm. as a as a honorific. But uh, it, it's possible that St. Peter had a daughter, and if it was, it was St. Petronilla who was martyred in Rome, and we'd still know of her grave, mm-hmm. which, interesting, she is the patron saint of, of treaties between emperors and agreements between um, anti-popes, pope and anti-pope, and bringing unity back together. Interesting. Isn't that pretty cool? Wow. Yeah. Um, so where is Peter's, where was Peter's throne? Where, he's the bishop of what? Mm-hmm. Well, it's important to, to well, realize that, you know, the chair of St. Peter is something that we celebrate on February 22nd. Mm-hmm. Um, it's related by tradition to when Jesus entrusted the keys to, to Peter and, you know, named him the rock, you know, to, to establish a throne and a chair. Um, it's important to realize that, Peter really, and all of his successors, operate out of the principal chair, which is Rome. Mm-hmm. Rome is that principal chair, but it took a while before Peter got to Rome, right? right. So there, there's a chair in the sense of Antioch that, that he sits upon. He was there for about seven years or Peter so. Peter was originally the bishop of Antioch. Yeah, so that's an important factor, as well as Alexandria, you know, commissioning mm-hmm. 
I believe it was Mark. Saint Mark, yeah. Mark, who went to Alexandria. But then you have the establishment of these different sees, these different seats, these sedes mm-hmm. um, in Latin. So these seats are established. You know, you have Constantinople, you have Jerusalem, you have St. James, you know, St. James. So you have these different seats being established all under the authority of Peter. And then ultimately, Peter takes his seat in Rome by his own blood. Yeah. But yeah, he went, you know, his trips. So was he like the bishop of Antioch? And then when he went to Rome, did he, was he the one that formed church in Rome? The church mm-hmm. in Rome? Yeah. Okay. Well, he, he oh, with Peter. Well, I'm sorry, with Paul. With Paul. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Paul would have, yeah, Paul would have been there around the same, they would have been there at the same time. Um, they probably, I think Paul was executed a little bit later than Peter, mm-hmm. maybe a year later. But yeah. That's Pe- very interesting. Yeah, Peter first went to, well, his, you know, you can look up his trips, but he was in Joppa, he was in Caesarea, he was in um, Ephesus, he went through Greece, he would have been in Rome, but... He was in Jerusalem. He was in you Jerusalem, obviously, yeah. yeah. Which I think is interesting that he was not the bishop of Jerusalem, but all all the Gospels are in perfect agreement that he was put in the place of honor among the apostles. And, was, and where, But where did where did Jesus... Uh, express that, you know, like in, in the sense of, you know, the Holy Land in Jerusalem and where Jesus, you know, establishes he's the head, you mm-hmm. know, so really it, Jesus is the head of the universal church and he established that seat in Jerusalem, but he's ultimately trusting his authority and the full share in his authority in, in Peter. You know, I always wonder why Peter didn't just stay in Jerusalem, but I think that apostolic nature, you know, got him to go to Rome. And he was on the move. He was on the move. Yeah. yeah. And and I think uh, just kind of supporting the fact that these keys were given, this Petrine ministry, the Petrine ministry probably gave him a spirit of governance over the apostles, mm-hmm. right? Like where when he was on the move, he was with the apostles, a lot like Paul wrote about some of the people that he left mm-hmm. and commissioned yeah. in, you know, a lot of different places that he went. The charism of administration, like that this is a charismatic gift of the Holy Spirit, and administration is clearly seen in St. Paul, which you identify perfectly because it's it's riddled all throughout his Mm -hmm. letters. And then you also see it in St. Peter, one, by tradition, two, also scripturally, as well as just seeing historically where he set up these these, uh, clear, distinguished seats of authority of Christianity, of Catholicism in, in that sense. And, you know, when you think of Paul and St. Peter, you know, you have the apostle to the Gentiles, you know, and you have Peter upholding uh, his authority as the vicar for Christ, going to Rome, knowing that Paul is a Roman citizen, has influence both in Judaism, but also politically in Rome. Now, both of them preaching the kingdom of God, together. the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They're preaching together, which is incredible. And then one legend has it that before they were, one, crucified upside down in Peter and then beheaded in St. Paul, before they were ultimately martyred for the name of Jesus Christ, they were held in a prison, in a maritime prison. Mamertime. Mamertime. Yep. Um, I visited that that prison and down underneath, it's like this little cave or cell um, where they would house up to 50 people at times. There was no restroom, so they would they would all go in the corner and and uh, handle their business. But imagine being cramped up in a space where you couldn't stand erect. Well, the Mamertine was originally probably like a cistern or, or even part of like a sewer yeah. system. Because mm-hmm. Romans didn't have prisons. prisons. Yeah. You, you didn't say, well, you're going to get six years in jail. You either paid a fine or executed or released. There was no... 
idea of like a penitentiary. Yeah, no mm -hmm. detainment. But one of the legends of the maritime prison is that they prayed because people were converting in the dark because there weren't any lights. So you've got, you know, however many people in this cell, they're preaching in the dark. People are coming to faith. They prayed and a fountain of water came up from the ground and Peter and Paul baptized people, converted them in this prison before their own execution, mm -hmm. which is one of the cool things that not a lot of people know about. Mm -hmm. Now, you mentioned a couple things. So you, Ryan, you mentioned that like Paul would always be traveling with apostles and whatnot or with, you know, companions, um, companions. And you mentioned St. Mark being the first bishop of Alexandria. A lot of scholars will say that the Gospel of Mark, so if you look at the Gospel of Luke, Luke was basically Paul's secretary, right? You, you see that in the book of Acts and everything. Yeah. But Mark would have, a lot of people consider that Mark would have played the same role for Peter and that the book of Mark really was the reflections of Peter and that was essentially his gospel. So it's the gospel according to Mark, but as relayed by Peter to Mark. And that's why you can see it's one of the, it's the earliest in nature. It's yeah. the least developed in And it's in the theology. greatest authority yeah. as it relates to, uh, you know, the Q source and Matthew yeah. and, Mo and, um, and, and Luke. Yeah. Q source? Mm -hmm. We talked about that in the Lost Books of the Bible episode. Link. Link. <laughs> and the Q source was, you know, all the sayings of Jesus that they used to kind of fill in oh, the, the Gospels. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, so, I mean, next time you're reading the Gospel of Mark, consider that that was likely the reflections of Peter as told mm -hmm. to, to to St. Mark by him. Yeah. Pretty cool. It is very cool. Um, and again, like the influence of Peter as the chief shepherd, you mm -hmm. know, this this vicar, this assistant to Jesus establishing his church and he is the rock. Mm -hmm. Now, have you, have you ever been, uh, you've been in Rome multiple times. Mm -hmm. Have you ever been on the Appian way? Mm -hmm. Appian way. Appian way. Appian way. It's, it is one of the most, I want to say eerie, but as you're, as you're walking the way, it's like this looming silence and, Nature comes to life and you could hear the breeze wrestle with the with the leaves and you feel that this this place has great significance as you're walking around and to to have that quo vadis account being tied to the Appian way quo vadis meaning you know where are you going you know which way are you going yeah. Yeah, so according to tradition, uh, there was a great persecution in the reign of the Emperor Nero. Nero burned down the city, blamed the Christians as the scapegoat, right? But Nero wanted to expand the city and get rid of—he wanted to gentrify Rome, essentially. Yeah. So he burned down the city, blamed it on the Christians, and then killed the Christians for sport. So during this—this this was the persecution where Peter and Paul were both arrested. And Peter was trying to flee Rome. And he was going along the Appian Way, which is the main route out of Rome. And as he was going on this road with like tall cypress mm -hmm. trees and everything. That's beautiful. He saw in the distance Jesus. And he went up to him. He said, Domine Quo Vadis, which in Latin is, Lord, Lord where, where are, are you going? going? And Jesus replied, to Rome to be crucified again. And Peter knew immediately, look, all the other Christians are back there in Rome being martyred and here's Peter leaving and Jesus is going to get martyred again. And Peter then turned around to then go back to Rome to face his martyrdom and to minister to those people in the prisons and to 
really have his role as a bishop in that time of turbulence. But that's how essentially Peter ended up being martyred in the circus of Nero upside down. Mm -hmm. Peter was crucified upside down because he didn't want to die in the same way as Jesus. Mm. To muster up courage by the very courageous witness of Jesus Christ once again, it's a living sacrifice. His, his victimhood is always with us in the Paschal mystery of what we celebrate. And to, to realize this in an apparition where Jesus appears, you know, to strengthen our Holy Father with one final definitive act of faith and the deposit of the apostolic, you know, gift yeah. of the church, his seat is established forever in Rome. Yeah, so after he was coming back, so he went back to Rome to be crucified and was crucified, one of the things that I love best about that story is that being crucified upside down and the and the spot where he was crucified used to be within within old St. Peter's, mm-hmm. but now there's a you know, a a building structure right there that's just outside of St. Peter's. It's actually where you get into the necropolis. It's it's like right outside of those doors, and they have it marked where where he would have been crucified. But Peter being crucified upside down in the circus of Nero, the last thing his human eyes would have seen upside down was the obelisk Mm -hmm. that is now in the center of St. Peter's Square. And I love that whenever there's a new pope and he comes out onto the balcony— and he looks out in the St. Peter's Square, the first thing he sees is that obelisk. And that says two things. Number one, it's that continuity of from Peter to, the, to Francis, right? And all the popes in between that the last thing Peter saw was the first thing that the pope sees in taking his office publicly. And also, it's just that constant victory of Christ over the people who crucified him and crucified Peter and all those early apostles and martyrs, that that obelisk that Peter would have seen with his dying eyes is now right there as a monument to the victory of Christ. And I think that's just triumphant and amazing. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the bronze that was, you know, in the Colosseum, which mm-hmm. they called it the Colosseum because there was a colossal uh, statue of Nero that was bronze outside of it. That was eventually melt down and put on top of the Greek pantheon, and then um, in like 1500s, they uh, the church removed that um, because I believe they own that uh, the pantheon building. It's the Church of All. All. Oh man. But anyways, yep. they took that bronze, and that bronze is actually in the Baldacchino, which is over the altar. Mm-hmm. So you have like Nero's statue over melted the altar. down. That's awesome, and then and then that's kind of rubbing we'll, it we'll in. Talk a, we'll talk a little bit more about the rest of that story because there's more yeah. to this. You, you can't make this stuff up. Which this is so. There's going to be we'll talk about a little bit of the facts, but there's a little part of it that I love that's so Delacrosse that I can't wait for you to tell. <laughs> so, Saint Peter's. You know, we look at Mark sixteen eighteen, and upon this rock I will found my church. Saint Peter being crucified in this in the circus of Nero. The Circus of Nero, there was a road that ran along it, and it was, uh, you know, a necropolis road. So back in those days, you know, people would be buried, and they would put these nice structures along the road. So as people were walking, you remember their memory, right? It was kind of like, um, you know, big mausoleums and monuments to to people who died. And right along the road of the Circus of Nero, there was that kind of road. So after Peter was crucified, 
you know, the Christians took his body basically just across the street and buried him along this road, along this, this Avenue via of the dead. Avenue of the dead. And he stayed there buried in a very small, modest, like, like a yeah. brick wall almost, you know? Um, but then when Constantine legalized Christianity, one of the first things he did was built the first St. Peter's in a most ridiculous uh, architectural spot. Like there was no way, like he had to cut the mountain or the hill, Vatican yeah. Hill away. The effort they went through to build that church in 313 shows that it was very common knowledge that that's where Peter was right. buried. But, you know, as time goes by... Mm-hmm. Um, the church needs to be rebuilt. Well, yeah, I mean, churches get old, buildings get old, and uh, eventually, you know, they keep on building on top and on top and on top, right? And really, the, that original tomb was lost. But in 1939, Pius XII, um, Pius XI wanted to be buried in the crypts under the Vatican. As close as he can to St. Peter. Right. And Pius XII approved it and approved the excavation under there to allow new graves to be built. Well, during the course of that excavation, they found a very, very ancient monument, like six layers of civilization down, essentially. And they found in the niche of the wall a small box of bones with wrapped in purple cloth with gold fibers with the graffiti Petri Inni which, you know, Pius XII was pretty convinced that this mm-hmm. was, he made an announcement that we have found the bones of Peter and, and had them, but then they lost them. They lost the bones of St. Peter until 1968 mm-hmm. because it was a construction process and like the, the guy who was in charge of it didn't want the bones and they didn't know it was Peter. Well, it's kind of a big house too. I mean, right. the Vatican. It's like, oh, where did <laughs> I put big, those? Oh. Put those where, <laughs> who put those where? Yep. But they were rediscovered in 68, and Pius, uh, oh, the Paul VI announced it to the world. You know, mm-hmm. we found the bones. But there was a big article in Life magazine in 1950 showing it, and, you know, Pius XII went down there, you know, that ghostly, saintly figure who just looks like a pope to me with, like, a light on his head, one of those mm-hmm. light helmets, and we just cruising around under there. Isn't that interesting, though? And, and I've, I've actually visited and went through the necropolis. I think you've been, yeah, you've been, been as yeah. well. But it's interesting because many of the of the people of their contemporary time, people who were being buried around St. Peter's time, you know, Christian, non-Christian, pagan, yeah. but you, you have graffiti everywhere. And people regularly visited their loved ones and they had little ports that they would put wine down or food down and, and pour honor, one out for the homies. You know, pour one out for the homies. That's where it started. Yeah. And then, you know, but as you get closer to St. Peter's tomb, you begin to see a lot of Christian um, yep. be, you know, beautiful. You know, and 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 sometimes you got you try to discern like, well, what's what does that say? Um, a Christian graffiti leading yeah. all the way up to a very concentrated area where you could see many Catholics of that initial uh, period of time were buried around St. Peter and then ultimately Petriini. And I mean, it's incredible because from that place, exactly where uh, St. Peter's remains are. There was a there was an altar that was built on top of it in Constantine's time, but they didn't realize when when Michelangelo designed and and they ultimately built the present day St. Peter's Basilica that from the top of the cupola you could drop you know a rock 
and it drops straight down through the baldacchino, through the main altar, all the way down under the main altar to the altar that Constantine built right on top of the tomb of St. Peter. If that's not inspiration, and on top of that, Pius XII, 40s, World War II, the world is in manifest darkness and evil and bloodshed, and people don't know where the world is going. The fact that the discovery of the bones of St. Peter and the communion of his successor who wears his shoes, the shoes of the fisherman, he, he now communes with Peter in a, such a big way to, uh, to address the issues of World War II and Nazism and communism and all these other types of isms yeah. that, that brought about this evil. And it's, it's just mind-boggling that this was all undiscovered until recent history. See, but here's the thing. Every couple of years, they would rediscover it. But yeah. that's that's the nature of things. Like, no one's like, oh, we're, you know, our Constantine built his church on the tomb of Peter. Well, then they, you know, build up more layers. And, oh, yeah, we're building it on top of Constantine's thing. And then another layer. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> and then uh, when they were laying the Bernini's Baldacchino, they knew it was there again. They rediscovered it again. So, like, every mm. couple hundred years, they rediscover it. But then... You know, you just take it's it for lost. granted, and you just don't go down there, and things get built up. But I mean, that's kind of the way that history works is in layers. You it's know? beautiful down there too, because you have like. So why don't you tell them the how folks. you got into that tour? Oh man! Okay, so <laughs> we. Oh, this is typical Ryan. <laughs> so I was going to Rome. I was the best man in a wedding, and uh, and this was the tour that everybody said to go on the Scabby tour. And so they're like, um, talk to a priest. Uh, Father Patrick Lewis in Washington, D.C. Um, no, I didn't talk to him. He was our guide. Talked to a priest in Rome, and he says, you have to go to this website. And get, So I went to the website, and I got the ticket. I thought I did. <laughs> they sent me an email, and apparently, like, I had to, like, they reserved it, but I had to buy it, and I didn't buy it. So I was not on the list. So <clears throat> I was with a group of, like, I'd say 10 people and we get to the <laughs> gate and everybody's got their ticket. And I'm like, what's going on? What, how'd you get the ticket? Like I got the email, you know? And they're like, Oh no, you have to have a ticket. And the Italian guy back there was like really like standoffish and all this stuff. So me and father DeVore, father Dan DeVore and my wife go out and <clears throat> here walks up father Patrick Lewis. And I'm like, Hey, what are you doing here? Like, I didn't even know you. Went to, he said, Oh yeah, I, I go to the knack and I think he went to the knack or the Greg or something. Anyways, he's, he's like, well, I'm, I'm actually doing the tour and then he kind of just like, you know, here, just just walk up and pretend like you're supposed to be there. Like this, is, <laughs> like, this is, trust me, like, this is how Italy works. You know, like, just walk and nod your head and man, wink at him and wave. And <laughs> so Jen and I go walk in behind everybody. and We're kind of like hiding and they're kind of showing the ticket to the guy and he's just kind of bobbing his head. And so I, I walked on the left side of everybody with Jen and Jen's holding the baby and I was like, yeah. You know, like that. And we walked in. So we were actually too many people in there. So the guy didn't count or anything like that. So I get to go. You gate crashed the I, tomb I, of St. Peter. I gate crashed the tomb of St. Peter, if you want to put it that way. Yeah. I don't know if there's a more Delacroix story or one that shows your Petrine charisms better. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I've got plenty of stories. That's fantastic. So, I love that story. You know, here's an interesting thing about the bones they actually found. Um, they found that the bones, after scientific testing, were of a man in his 60s who would have been pretty stocky. He would have been about five foot seven, which... A little guy. 
Not back then. Back, a back a five then, foot yeah. seven stocky. He was a bruiser, you know. I mean, he was a robust man who could handle both fishing and the traveling. Uh, one of the interesting things, though, is they never found his, there's no foot bones, right? And that's because St. Peter's feet would have been cut off when he was crucified upside down. They would just cut his feet off and he would just come down off the cross. So his feet were probably just you know, left on the cross he was crucified on. And when they found these bones, 60-year-old man, likely of, you know, uh, Semitic descent, stocky, five foot seven, no feet bone. And there was another relic that was known for a long time in another church of Rome, a part of his skull. And when compared, they're like, these are completely congruous with each other. So, I mean, it is almost a certainty that these are the bones of St. Peter. And with a lot more you know, proclamations that then I can get into, I have no doubt that they are. Mm-hmm. And we're going to have a, a, a episode on St. Paul as well, mm-hmm. because, you know, they have that same type of certainty around the bones of St. Paul outside the wall. Absolutely. Which I really want to go to. Mm-hmm. Also, there's a place where St. Paul's head bounced three times after they beheaded the him. The Trey Fontana, man, the three fountains. Yeah. And that has the same feeling as the Appian Way. I mean, same exact spiritual, solemn, like something powerful happened here. Same exact feeling every time I go there. They make beer at Trefontaine. Do they really? Out of that water. Out of that water. Oh, wow. And they also raise the sheep there that provides the wool to get pallium. Pallium. Yeah. Yeah. I I do remember that. Pallium is like the... Zucchetta. And the round thing. Yeah. Yeah, The round thing that goes down like this that bishops and popes get. Mm -hmm. Um, Our church is really amazing. Oh, it's fascinating. You can't get it. You can't get enough of it, man. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's consoling. You know, another interesting thing I think is that even Islam recognizes St. Peter. And I never knew that, that huh. even really, even Islam, Shia Islam teaching considers Peter the first imam, right? They consider him the successor of Jesus in Shia theology. So, I mean, even so, this was Islam was what seven thirty, seven fifties. Even that early in religions that didn't recognize Catholicism, they they recognized in the scriptures that Peter was obviously the successor of Jesus. Mm. And that was an interesting thing that I've never considered. I never looked into. Well, it's clear when you read the book. That it really that, is that was the case. So, which is so strange then how clear it is that how people often say, "Well, no, Peter wasn't. He was not the leader of the apostles. Jesus didn't intend to make him the leader and his successor the leaders of you know." But it's. I mean, it's as clear as the. You know, nose on your face that, that he was. That's why that's why the chair of St. Peter is so important. You know, that's why, you know, the feast on February 22nd is so important. It's why we're praying for Christian unity under the chair of St. Peter is so important. You know, you think of Constantinople, you think of Alexandria, you think of the Eastern churches, you think of, you know, all of the different denominations of, you know, the Protestant faith and evangelicals and the 60,000 denominations of Christianity. Now's a time where we ought to be praying earnestly for the unity of all Christians. We need to be united, and this is Jesus' desire. So continue to spread love. Continue to share history. We hope that this show is is just that for you, that it opens up your eyes to realize— you know different aspects of the faith that we so love that we don't we don't know exhaustively like we don't we aren't the you know the authority on this but you know after studying and and sharing our experiences where we've traveled what we've studied how this has influenced our life we hope that the show has influenced you today and certainly the intercession of St Peter the chair of St Peter uh, so we want to express our deepest solidarity with you even if you're not catholic out there you know when we look to St Peter he's a perfect witness of the faith 
And before we go our separate ways, I think, Shil, you have you have something. Well, I want to mention two things. So yeah. number one, why don't you mention, you know, people that we are in solidarity with, and that is our sponsor, Hollow. Absolutely. Our sponsor, Hollow, is the number one Catholic app in the App Store to date. And let me tell you, it is a magnificent app. Over 400 million prayers have been said through this app. There are contemplative prayers, Lexio Divina, Bible in the Year with Father Mike Schmitz. There's so many resources on this app, and it continues to grow. People's lives have been changed by building a habit of prayer through this wonderful technique and this wonderful application. So make sure you check out Hallow today. And as you do, realize that there are so many functions of this app. Developing your own personal prayer. Developing prayer even in groups. Journaling and maintaining the consistency of prayer that sometimes we could slip out of in the busyness of life. So check out Hallow. I am sure that it will enrich your spiritual journey with Christ. Thank you for that. Yeah, Hallow is great, a great app. We love having them as a sponsor because we actually use it. You know, it's not just a, we're not just shilling for a couple bucks. I mean, these are, this is an app that makes real impact in our lives. Um, and you're mentioning the chair of St. Peter, which is kind of like Catholic President's Day. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's celebrating the office of the Pope. Um, and you're talking about that unity. And I really love that Pope Francis gave portions of the bones of St. Peter to the patriarch that Bartholomew. That was such a great move. That is a baller move. That really is. That is awesome. That in that fraternity of the bones of Peter, he's giving it to you know, James in the East, right? And there's that fraternity there. Mm -hmm. And I don't think there's anything that Peter would want more than the church to be reunited both East and West, both in, you know, the seas of Antioch and Constantinople with Rome in the unity of the chair of St. Peter. So, And now we have another patroness to to turn to for that type of uh, intercession. Petronilla, yeah. St. Peter's Possible daughter, not making that a definitive statement, but possible. I'm going with it, man. All right. There might be still the bloodline. You go away, anything. <laughs> <laughs> so, my friends, thank you for connecting with us here at the Catholic Talk Show. Make sure you're subscribing on all of our platforms, and we'll see you next week.